The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. 8474. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm glad that you are here. It is good to see you. It is my pleasure this morning to introduce our speaker. We had another one on the radar, and he called me yesterday at six o'clock in the evening and had come into contact with somebody who had COVID, so he had to bail. And so I ended up calling a good friend of mine, Brad Lensner, and said, Can you come on short notice? And so I'm thankful that he was able and willing. Reverend Brand Lensner is a very dear friend of mine. We overlapped here at our time together in seminary. He's a graduate of the seminary. He currently is the associate pastor of Christ Reformed Church in Anaheim, and he's also pastored churches in Hanford, California, and Rifle, Colorado. He is married to Samantha and father to Elijah, Abriel, and Bella. And brother, thank you for coming on short notice. We are delighted that you are here. Good morning. Uh, Reverend Tedrick was actually one of the groomsmen in, in uh, my wedding, so we have quite a history and overlap, so thank you for having me. And uh, the last time I stood up here was uh, 2007 in a preaching class, so this is a, some, somewhat of a fun homecoming uh, for me as well. Um, so I want to go over this morning Psalm 130, so if you have your Bibles in front of you. Go ahead and turn there, and let's uh, go before our Lord in prayer this morning, asking him to, to bless this uh, meditation on his word. Let's pray. Uh, gracious God, we come before you even mindful in these moments of your greatness, your majesty, your holiness, your righteousness, And we know ourselves to be sinners and unable, left to ourselves, to perceive and understand your word and the greatness and the goodness of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come and we ask, God, that you would forgive us for our sins this morning. We thank you for the blood and righteousness of our Savior. And we thank you for the access to you through his mediation that we have been freely granted Uh, in your grace. And so, by your Spirit, open our minds, our hearts, uh, Lord, to, with true faith, uh, not only hear and receive, but believe and trust and glorify you with uh, the truths from your word today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. 
and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So may the Lord bless his word to us here today. Well, as many of you may know, uh, the Psalm 130 is one of what we know to be uh, a song of ascents, as you can see from the inscription from the text in front of you, most likely. And those psalms, Psalms uh, 120 through 134, were those psalms thought to be sung uh, as uh, they, the saints made their way to Jerusalem for the main feasts in uh, Israel. And uh, the psalm is also known as one of the penitential psalms as well. And as you know, ascending means to go from a low place to a high place, a higher place to ascend. And so it's appropriate to recognize these as songs of ascent, the people going to Jerusalem, up the mountain of the Lord, obviously starting in a lower place and rising to the higher place geographically, physically. Uh, But we see even in this particular song of ascents, something of the same thing in the structure of the psalm and the the momentum of this psalm, uh, beginning in a low place and ending in a high place. So if you look at just the first verse and compare it to the last verse, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, and then ending with, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so even in the the very uh, words of uh, this particular song of ascents, you see, you can understand and discern starting in a low place and ascending uh, to a high place uh, in the faith before God. And we also see, really, a kind of microcosm of the ordinary Christian life in this psalm of guilt, grace, and gratitude. Uh, as I'm a URC three forms of guy, so three forms guy, so maybe that plays a little role here in uh, my, my outline for the text this morning. But nonetheless, I think it's appropriate from the text to discern those things. Uh, guilt our deep guilt uh, in verses 1 through 3, and in verse 4, God's uh, gracious forgiveness, and verses 5 through 8, our hope-filled gratitude. And so that's the uh, path forward here this morning for our few minutes together in this uh, beautiful psalm. And so first, our deep guilt, and you see In verse 1 and verse 2, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And the depths are a deep place and a place where you really don't want to be. And and other psalms talk about the psalmist saying, you know, the deep mire has come over me. And that's a similar Uh, sentiment happening here in verse 1. He is in a deep, I would even say dark place uh, spiritually, and he's crying out uh, to the Lord for mercy. And that is typical. I think that is the, really, the birthplace of the Christian life, uh, is, is it not, to recognize our guilt before a holy God and to cry out to him for mercy 
And we know he's wrestling with the guilt of sin because of verse three, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But nonetheless, these verses in verse one and two can be appropriate to pray when you are struggling under the, the, the darkness of depression or suffering and hardships in the Christian life to look to the Lord and to cry out to him to be attentive to our pleas for mercy. Uh, and uh, perhaps uh, you might be feeling like uh, crying out from the depths yourselves. It sounds a little bit like seminary life uh, in some regards, doesn't it? At least it was for me. I don't know, maybe, maybe you guys were more super Christians than, than I was uh, back then. Um, but, but nonetheless, uh, we, you may even be feeling uh, the weight of not only the pressure of your studies, but as you are reading the word of God, some of you entertaining the prospect of uh, entering the ministry if the Lord should call you. Uh, and there can be a great struggle with the recognition that you are not worthy uh, to serve the Lord in that capacity in your own merits. And uh, even those of you who may not be marching toward the ministry or aspiring to be in the ministry, nonetheless, I'm certain that you uh, at times struggle with uh, your calling in life and feeling that you're not worthy of whatever it is that the Lord may have for you. Uh, and it's, so this, in this sense, this, these verses uh, really have a wide application uh, to us in our circumstances throughout life. And this is part of the ordinary Christian life of recognizing our sinfulness, our unworthiness, our uh, struggle uh, with our sin nature uh, and sin in general uh, that springs from our hearts. And so it's appropriate to go to the one who has the remedy, even though he is the holiest one of all and we know ourselves to be unworthy. Nonetheless, we, we go to him and confess. And it's interesting here in verse 2, uh, you see actually commands in verse 2, don't you? O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. It's, it's interesting to recognize that, that there, there is a kind of command going on here, approaching the holy God. The one, if he should take notice and mark my sin, I would not be able to stand, and yet here he is, saying, hear my voice, be attentive, listen, please. And uh, this, is, this is not a, a person who understands the Lord to be a genie and is at his beck and call, but this is someone who knows his sin and yet at the very same time is confident that God hears and he understands that there is forgiveness with the Lord. And so this is not a presumptuous haughtiness in commanding God from that perspective in a, in a very real way. It's a, a, a confident, uh, humble coming before the Lord, knowing that he is the one who has the resolution to my struggle with my sin. And he knows he can find that resolution in no other place. And so he cries out, please, Lord, hear, be attentive. And if you've never been in that place of desperation, well, I just want to assure you one day you will. That is part of the ordinary Christian life when you wrestle with your sin. Uh, I would say that if you never feel that or experience 
that in your Christian life, then you may not be truly wrestling with your misery and your sin before a holy God. I would say maybe we might need to have a come to Jesus meeting. I don't know, Uh, but it's part of the ordinary Christian life to wrestle with our guilt before a holy God and feel that desperation to go to him only and plead that he would hear. And in verse 3, that marking of iniquities there, this rhetorical question, who could stand if you were to mark them? This, is, this carries really the sense there, that there is a hostility against sin. He knows that God is supreme in his high majesty and that his sins are an offense to that high majesty. And that if God should mark them, should note them in the sense of then acting against them, he would be mowed down and have no standing before this holy and righteous God in his own merits, and God would be truly just to do that. And so his struggle is heightened by the recognition of God's high majesty and holiness against sin. And then you come to verse 4 which I would say is one of the greatest buts in the Bible. Right up there along with Ephesians 2, but God who is rich in mercy after having talked about how we are dead in our sins and that God has mercy and forgiveness on account of Christ, this but here in the Bible is among the greatest in the text of Scripture, I believe. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. What a beautiful understanding of uh, the graciousness of God that is undeserved by sinners. And that is where the resolution to our dilemma of being guilty before a holy God is found, is in the forgiving disposition of a holy God through Jesus Christ toward us sinners who deserve no good from him. And I think that it's important for us to always hear that and recognize that and remember that. We'll never, we will never graduate from the recognition and experience of our sinfulness before a holy God. And we will also never graduate as a result uh, our, from the need to know and remember and trust in the good news of Jesus Christ uh, through the forgiveness of our sins in him. And so I want to encourage you as you wrestle with your sinfulness, as you wrestle with the difficulties of your Christian life as uh, students here, as staff here, as professors here, even to remember that there is forgiveness with the Lord. And praise God for that. Praise God for that. There is forgiveness with the Lord that you may be feared. And this is not to turn into a servile fear and cowering down. Uh, but, but there is an implied, there's implication there that, that this is the Holy One of all. And in his son, he is actually not against me any longer. Uh, he could take me down, but he has not on account of his son. And so there is a, a healthy fear and reverence and respect that we go to God with in the knowledge of that truth that we don't deserve what he has freely given to us in the gospel. How can you not fear him? How can you not want to love him more? 
uh, in the recognition of these things. And so God has forgiveness uh, in Christ. And we might ask, well, how does he know? How, how, does, how does this Old Testament saint know that there is forgiveness with God? Well, there's many things that we could point to in the scriptures. Well, the whole sacrificial system, for one, shows that there is forgiveness with God. Uh, and also we know from our Heidelberg Catechism, too, teaches us that, that God has proclaimed the gospel uh, through the patriarchs and through the prophets and uh, finally revealed it in the person of his son and sending him. Uh, but there is Old Testament witness to the truths that God has forgiveness for sinners in the gospel. He may not have had the clearest picture of exactly what the Lord was going to do in the future, but there was enough there to know that God forgives sins and that he must go to him for it. And so he does. And so God has given witness. You think of the, the judges, for instance. They cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent a deliverer, right? And so there's perhaps an example in the background of the mind of this Old Testament saint, just one example, that know, to know that when you cry out to the Lord for forgiveness, he answers and sends a deliverer. So I believe he had an understanding of these things. And then in verses 5 through 8, we, we see uh, this hope-filled gratitude, this response of the knowledge that his sins are forgiven, there's forgiveness with the Lord. And so what does he do? He waits on the Lord. My soul waits on the Lord. And in his word, I hope, he's not hoping in himself or any goodness of himself or anything that he thinks that he can produce after having been forgiven of his sins, but no, my hope is in his word. And his hope is so much so in the word of promise that he waits more than the watchmen wait for the morning, and he repeats that. And as you know, in the scriptures, when something is repeated, it is for emphasis to communicate something weighty to us. And so here, the psalmist understands, I'm going to wait on the promise of God more than watchmen wait for the morning, because there is safety in the daylight. It is scary to watch something overnight. If you've ever had to guard anything, uh, growing up as a kid, you know, you get afraid that there's monsters under your bed, you know, and in the darkness. Darkness is scary. You can't see your enemy coming. And so you long for the safety of daylight, and the psalmist understands that his safety is in the morning. It's in the daylight of the one who forgives his sins. And so he waits, and this is what we do as Christians. He's waiting for some uh, fulfillment of God's promises to his people. And we see that iterated in what he declares the people should hope in, in verses 7 and 8, the redemption of Israel. And so he's waiting for something future. It's, it's really as if he is experiencing the already not yet Christian life, right? His Christian life has begun, but yet there's still something more to come, and he's waiting and he's waiting on the Lord to fulfill it. Is that not the same for us today? We're on the other side of the cross looking back. We have the Christian life begun in us, and yet we are waiting for the Lord to bring that to its fullest manifestation with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead and to usher in the resurrection of the dead and bring us safely 
to heaven. So we, so we share in this waiting that this Old Testament saint expresses. And it is an appropriate response of gratitude to know that God has forgiven our sins and to know that God will redeem all of Israel from her, his iniquities, as verse 7 and 8 says. That is a wonderful, grateful response to trust in him and to wait on him and to know that he will finish the work that he has started in you even until the day of Christ Jesus. So if you wrestle with the assurance of God's forgiveness in your life, I want to encourage you to continue to look to the Lord Jesus and that your assurance, it doesn't depend on how strong your faith is in the promises of God because even as the Puritans have said and others have said that even the weakest faith receives the strongest Christ and all of his benefits and promises. And I encourage you to continue to wait on him. He is faithful to complete the work that he started in you despite your sin. The blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ covers all your sin. And he is the proof that we can wait upon him and that he will answer and that he will indeed bring his gospel promises to their fullest fruition at the last day or upon our death, whichever comes first. And we might also ask, well, how, again, how, how can he do these things? How can he trust in the Lord in this kind of way and wait on the Lord and be so confident at the end of this psalm? Well, I mean, I think then we not only have uh, an understanding that he understood the sacrificial system and all that that pointed forward to in Christ, but also you look at the word Lord there in the text, uh, Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And the text talks about there is steadfast love in verse 7, uh, the, the covenant love of God for his people uh, is steadfast. And so he understood these things, uh, that, that Yahweh, his Lord, uh, was faithful to all of his promises throughout the history of redemption. Uh, and so he could, say, he could turn around and declare. It's as if he reaches Jerusalem in his pilgrimage, uh, having ascended the mountain of the Lord and then turns to, to all of his companions and pilgrims with him and says, trust in the Lord. Look to the Lord. There is steadfast love with him and plentiful redemption, and he's going to do these things. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so he, there was a, a great confidence there in the faithfulness of God to, uh, in, in history to have fulfilled his promises. He's been faithful to the patriarchs. He's been faithful to Israel despite all their sins. He's been faithful. He's experienced the faithfulness of God personally. Uh, and so he is able uh, to, to, to trust and to hope uh, in the Lord with confidence. And that, too, is part of the ordinary Christian life. Uh, that, too, is the ordinary response that we uh, have as Christians in the face of our guilt, in the face of his forgiveness, uh, that we are then can, with hope and certainty that God will fulfill his promises, continue to wait on him, continue uh, to serve him and glorify him, knowing that we stand not in our own righteousness, but in one 
who has been righteous in our place, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so there's so much more. I, I, I wish I could preach on this for an hour. Uh, but nonetheless, I encourage you, wherever you are in your Christian life, to remember that this psalm really is that microcosm of the ordinary Christian life. Uh, live in these things. Live in the knowledge of your sin. Live in the knowledge of the great good news of Jesus Christ. Live in the knowledge of uh, having a hope-filled gratitude and response to his greatness in the gospel. Uh, and and tie this in, tying this into your theme of prayer is that in all of these things, go to him. Go to him. Take him at his promises of forgiveness. His disposition is open to you. The Holy of Holies has been flung open because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ in your place. And so you can live in the truths of these things and know that you will not be destroyed or cut down, but that you'll have a place in heaven that God is bringing you to, and he will fully and finally realize the redemption that he's already accomplished for you on that day. So may you find all your comfort in the truths of those things. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you on this day and all the days of this semester and all the days of your life. And so let's close in prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve on account of Christ. We thank you that you have received his sacrifice in our place, and proof of that is his resurrection from the dead. And we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit as that down payment and guarantee of the hope of heaven and eternal life. And we thank you that you have promised to finish that work that you've started in us. And so, Lord, along the way in our Christian life, may we uh, never think that we can outgrow the need to remember and understand and know ourselves to be sinners May we never in our Christian life think that we can outgrow uh, our need to hear and to believe and to find our rest in the forgiveness that you give to us in Christ and the gospel. And Lord, may you produce within us that well of gratitude in response to continue to wait upon you and look to you as servants look to their master. So we thank you for the blessings of the gospel. And we pray, this thing, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.